0: Well, we're getting very, very close to that moment where we will be finishing with the book of Acts. I know you're saying, is the Lord coming back before that happens? Uh, that'd be great, uh, but uh, and who knows such things? You can, you can kind of understand those things if you go to our ABF at 9 o'clock, the 9 o'clock hour, and uh, I just got a resounding Uh, five-star report from this morning on uh, Stephen's teachings and uh, uh, Unfortunately, you missed it if you didn't make it that series is over And so now you have a chance to hear a new series. that's coming up starting next week nine o'clock the abf hour, but this morning I'd like us to think about and speak to the issue of storms Uh, it's It's a relevant issue in our world currently, uh, in our uh, nomenclature, having seen the aftermath of what's been happening in Florida and the tragedy that has surpassed uh, that whole community, that, that state, that region. And it's those kinds of events that, brothers and sisters, get us to a point where we say, who is God? Why would God allow for something like, to, like that to happen? And I, I don't know if you've ever faced that question. You may hear that from others around yourself. You may hear it from your own thinking when a storm hits you. So this morning, please take out the notes from the bulletin, and we've got some fill-in-the-blanks, and we're going to look at some pirate lore this morning, whatever you want to call it. We're going to look at a shipwreck, and before we do that, I have one very, very simple question for you, and that is simply this. Can you tell me what this is? Yeah, right? It's a pixel. Yes, it's a pixel phone. Uh, so this, a- anybody, uh, you're on a completely different wavelength, or are we all like, we're together on this, that this is a, it's not rocket science, this is a, a, a what? This is a phone, right? I'm glad you said that. Um, Here's what's interesting is that I'm going to do my best to take your understanding of what a phone is and help you understand that sometimes when we look at something like this and we simply say it's a phone, we undersell what it really is doing. Right? I just checked the score to my Chargers. They're winning 7-0 over Cleveland. That enhanced my life right before I came up on stage. So it's a joy giver. Alright? You look at, uh, I have a commentary here, and this is really heavy. This is not something that I can put in my pocket. No matter how big my pocket is, I will, I will end up with back issues if I carry this around in my pocket. This is a commentary. You know I can, I can take the whole series and put it on my phone. So uh, my phone is not necessarily just a phone. My phone is what? My phone is a commentary resource. This right here, we dug this out of my office. I was going to say we found it in a shipwreck, it was going to be thematic, but no, I'll just be honest with you. This is my journal, and uh, let's just see, let's just see what's going on here. August 28th, 2017, Gentry says, I have the best dad ever. (laughs) Those are the moments you can't get back, folks. Uh, so uh, I have this whole journal, and I've got like four others, right? And, um, but that would be hard to carry around. But, you know, I can put all that on here. Uh, by the way, um, this... Oh, I broke my back. Uh, this is a what? What do you think is in here? Camera. A camera. Yes, there's one of those big SLR cameras in here. This was my present to my wife. Um, for her something or other birthday, or this, that, or the other, and, and it's really big and cumbersome, and there you go, and there's that. And I could walk around with that and take a bunch of pictures, and that would be really, no, it wouldn't be convenient, but, so this is a what? This is a camera. Uh, by the way, I know it's a camera because I took this beautiful picture of the girl who thought I'm the world's greatest dad on October or August 21st, 2017, uh, there you go, I took that picture, that's evidence that it's a camera. What else is it? Well, I've got this Wii gaming system, and uh, this is huge, and I could try to, you know, carry this around, beep boop pop beep. you know, like Russell, nothing's going on, it's not working, it's archaic, uh, first $10 wins it today, but I can play what on this? Not just any game, Fortnite. I just wanted to see who who was who in this room when I said that. All right? So this is a gaming machine. None of you said that. You just said it was a phone. By the way, I've got this big, beautiful Bible. It's an ESV. It's an ESV study Bible. It weighs about 10 pounds. And I could carry it around with me and look really spiritual, but I don't. Instead, this is a Bible. You know how many Bibles I can fit on this? So many. More than I could ever possibly read. What else can I do with this? Well, the other night, uh, there was a rat in the pool house. So guess who had to go out and deal with the rat in the pool house? And uh, I have this thing. I have a flashlight. And uh, I could have used this, but I didn't. What do you think I used? I used my flashlight. What else do you think I could do with that thing? What is this? Oh, my goodness. By the way, we're auctioning this thing off. Uh, George Washington used it. Um, And uh, so... This is a, uh, yeah, some of you are talking to your children, trying to explain what this is. That's hilarious. And so, this is a what? Yeah, it's a video camera. So, what's fascinating, I think I dropped 400 calories with that illustration. When we looked at it initially, we all said it was a what? It's a phone. You know, sometimes when we have these issues with the Lord, And we say, how can God be a good God when a hurricane takes out thousands of homes and businesses? How can God be a good God when my child passes away? How can God be a good God when I contract cancer? How can God be a good God when I lose my 401k? How can God be a good God And so what we do is we interpret God according to the storms in our life. That's what we do. And what I want you to understand is sometimes when we get in those storms, there's a whole lot more going on than just the letters G-O-D. And that's what we see today in this story. So let's look at it. Navigating the storm. A crisis does not make a person. A crisis shows what a person is made of. And it tends to bring true leadership to the fore. Quote by Warren Wiersbe. John MacArthur has a great book on leadership, and much of it is based off of this chapter. You're going to see some incredible leadership moments by Paul in, in this journey, and yet that's really not what we're focusing on today. So let me get you to the first point. The calm before the storm. And let's look at verses 1 through 3, shall we? Verse 20, or Chapter 27, verses 1 through 3. And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking in a ship of Adamantrium, which was about to sail to the ports along uh, along the coast of Asia, we put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. I get a bonus for just saying those words. The next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. Now, if you remember where we left off, Paul had appealed to Agrippa, King Agrippa. He had appealed on his behalf to appear before Caesar. It was Roman law that if somebody claimed to appeal to Caesar, they went to Caesar. You could do nothing to them. And so Paul has now claimed that Agrippa's hands are tied, even though he finds nothing wrong with Paul he says you have claimed appealing to Caesar so off to Caesar you go so they board this ship and they start traveling up the Mediterranean coast Uh, it's an interesting idea they set sail for Rome supposedly around October uh, of 59 AD so right around this time of, of the year now why do I take time to mention that because they're getting into a tight window for sailing Right? How many of you can relate to this and you take off outside of commuter traffic? Or you like to avoid Treat Boulevard between 6.30 and, and 9 every morning? Right? So this is what's on their mind. Is that it may be calm now, but if we don't do this well and we don't do this quickly, we're going to be in danger. So right now, everything is calm, so much so that as they're traveling up the coast, they're staying on the leeward side, they're staying close to the coast because they do not want to experience uh, the nor'easters, which they will eventually. They do not want to experience rough seas, and so they're going to come up along the Mediterranean and then drop down around Crete and try to get to Rome off of of the trade winds. So what's interesting is we look at this, it, it fits in the span of a heroic narrative. Many of you have heard of the Odyssey and the Iliad, haven't you? And you think about Ulysses and you think about so many others, Perseus and and those that sailed in these same waters and some of those uh, mythical stories that we hear about. And some of that fits very particularly to this story because, see, those that were on the ship with Paul would have seen things the way that we hear those stories with all the traditions, with all the superstitions. And I give you that because that's the calm before the storm. That's the setup. Those are the people that are uh, sailing, if you will, with Paul. And so they land in Sidon and what happens? Aristarchus uh, is also brought along with them. By the way, does anybody recognize the name Aristarchus? Just a beautiful thing of, of, of loyalty. Aristarchus was the individual that on the third Uh, missionary journey when Paul was in Ephesus remember the riot happened and they grabbed an individual from the church and hauled him in there and they were getting ready to beat him silly this is Aristarchus and so he was spared and Aristarchus believed that he was spared because of God's providence and what happens as a result of that providence A loyalty to Paul so we know of two people that are traveling with Paul at least one is Luke and one is Aristarchus so who's Julius Julius is a centurion of the of the of a cohort and he's one of these centurions that we see that that fits an odd position how many times do we hear of centurions we just saw Lysias work on not being a centurion but Lysias working on behalf of Paul in Jerusalem and up to Caesarea and now the Lord brings in somebody who does not know him who does not respect him and yet Julius, understanding that this is Agrippa's prisoner, he is responsible for Agrippa's prisoner, that if this prisoner were to run, if this prisoner were to evade him, what would happen to him? He would be killed. Dereliction of duties. And yet, what does Julius do? It says that he let him visit the believers in Sidon. It's the calm before the storm. You may say to yourself, well, I don't have some huge storms going on right now. Or or you may be thinking, I have some huge storms going on right now, and I, I really enjoyed the calm back here. I think it's fascinating that we think about a phone, and we think about some of those other resources, and then we question who God is because of the storm. How come we never praise Him for the calm before the storm that prepares us? This is what God is doing. He's granting through an unsuspecting uh, advocate, Julius, to prepare Paul for what was going to happen. And so he grants him leave and he's able to visit with those in Sidon to get prepared for what's happening. He took great care of Paul on this journey. So rumor has it that I get to experience some of that a little bit later today. I hear that there's food cooking, there's been several people that have already granted me a uh, a wonderful happy pastor appreciation month and uh, I'm overflowing with gratitude and this is the calm and so I'm I'm thinking okay Lord what's coming next month what storm is on its way Um, but trust me I'm going to revel in the appreciation do you do you revel in that appreciation when the calm is here this is something for us to learn The Lord is preparing us daily to navigate storms. Prepare to be shipwrecked. Often we do not take the time to be prepared when we're not in the storm, so that when we're caught in the storm, we're caught unaware, and we're easily sunk, we're easily defeated. Brothers and sisters, integrate those things into your life when the storm is non-existent that help you restore, that help strengthen you, that help buoy you up. Stay consistent in the Word. Stay consistent in prayer. Keep leaning on the Lord. Learn to depend on Him. The worst thing that happens for, for those who follow God, who, who name Jesus as Lord, is that when everything's good, we get lazy. It's riddled throughout Scripture. We get lazy. Instead of digging in and nourishing ourselves so we're prepared for when the storm does come, like Paul is doing, we say a few praises and we say thank you Jesus and we just keep kind of doing our own thing so we're not prepared when the storm happens. When the calm is happening, prepare to be shipwrecked. Be preparing. And so you've seen the scripture here that the next day we put in at on and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. It's an amazing thing that when you see God work, Let's remember that, so that when the storm hits and we want to cast blame, let's not be short in our memory of how he has provided for us, because that's one of the ways we navigate the storm. Dangerous decisions that disable, 9 through 20. Let's go there. Verse 9 says, since much time had passed, the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over. Now let me tell you that that's how they were able to ascertain that they probably embarked in October of AD 59. is because of the, the schedule, of the Jewish holidays, the fast, all of those things. That's how they kind of arrived at this. So, But they're getting nervous. Why? Because it's getting later in the season. You're getting into the no-sail zone. Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo in the ship, but also of our lives. Now, let me stop there. What is Paul saying? Is Paul a ship's captain? Is Paul the owner of the ship? Paul passed Navigation 101. We have no idea, but it's safe to say no. And yet Paul speaks up. Now what's interesting here is that in this moment, he says, I perceive not only the cargo will be lost, but there will be lives that are lost. Let's see if that actually happens. And let's see how we view Paul when there's a moment that's a little bit challenging to his advice. It's one of the few times we see some advice in the narrative that actually doesn't come true. So, what do we do with that? Well, let's keep going. So Paul warns, those that are trying to make the decision. They are moored uh, up, on the, uh, up on the Mediterranean coast, and they're having to make the decision whether or not to go. And so they're finding a new ship. It's an Alexandrian ship, and uh, which means it's a what? Hanny, what kind of a ship would it be if it's from Alexandria? An Egyptian ship. Yeah. There's a reason we like those Egyptians got great ships. So they board a ship and it's a large ship. It's a grain ship and it's going to Rome. You see, Rome's influence reached all the way down into Egypt and Egypt was flush with grain and so all the trade routes and so this ship really needed to get. They would have had a contract with Rome and the owner of the ship who needs to fulfill that contract and the ship's captain are arguing as to whether this is safe to go. Have you ever been in that moment? You ever been in a challenge between the boss, the owner, and you're sitting off to the side just shaking your head, saying, you know, this is all about money, this is all about greed, this is all about other things than, than your employees' safety? That's exactly what's going on here. And so Paul speaks up. Sometimes storms are so long and so dark that hope is abandoned. You're going to hear that in a moment. And so what, what's the advice? Speak truth in that moment. So let's keep going and see what happens here. Verse 11, but the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing both southwest and northwest and spend the winter there. They know that they won't even make it to Rome at this point. That's how late they are. Right? Right? But they're saying we need to at least get there Bad decision Bad decision And so as we look at this idea There's some things that we need to examine They board this Egyptian grain ship There would be close to 300 passengers on board So get the idea of how big this ship is So Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11.25 He refers a little bit to this This is no uh, first rodeo for Paul Let me give you some breakdown of this Paul uh, spends some time in his letter, his second letter to the Corinthian church, reminding them of the things that God has taken him through, the storms that he has taken him through. Listen carefully as as he kind of reiterates this. He says, three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles." Danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers in toil and hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And if that's not enough, Paul goes on. So Paul talks about this very event and how he was shipwrecked, not just this time, but a couple of other times. Dangerous decisions that disable. Now, we say that God is a cruel God sometimes because we end up in these storms and and we look at a sovereign God and say, God, why do you do that? You could just... Because in Matthew, we're going to hear in a little bit where he does. So why don't you... Right? And yet there's a purpose, there's an intentionality, and I would offer this up to you. It's not because of God that we end up in these storms. Did God tell the owner to send his boat out onto the Mediterranean in ill-advised weather? Did God tell the pilot to do it? Not God. Who made the decision that was dangerous? You can, not rhetorical, you can say it, The owner. The owner, the pilot. And even so much so that that they were so determined for whatever reason it was to make that dangerous decision, Paul speaks up and speaks truth in the midst of that dangerous decision and he's rebuffed. Who are you? You're the prisoner. You don't talk. Don't talk. These are not your affairs. Brothers and sisters, there will be moments where you're not the professional, you're not the expert, but maybe God gives you some wisdom in the moment, some discernment in the moment. Do not be silent, because we all make dangerous decisions that disable. Do we not? Does this have anything to do with God forcing people into a storm? Who made the decision to sail into the storm? The owner did. And by the way, Paul was along for the ride. He couldn't control the situation. And he was actually speaking on behalf of the Lord. It's so interesting that when we look at these moments where we want to accuse God, where were you? He was there, but he wasn't considered. He wasn't listened to. And we made the decision. Now that's not all the time, is it? That's not all the time. I can smoke. 20 packs of Marlboros a day right and chances are really good I'm gonna get what I'm gonna get a large cleaning bill because my clothes are gonna smell hideous that's what I'm gonna get but yes I'll probably get lung cancer right is that very different than someone who ends up with brain cancer or someone who ends up with pancreatic cancer And they made no choices to do that. So understand that there are those things that come into our lives. That's a different sermon. But there are choices that we do make that have a result in our life and then we want to question God. Why did that happen? Dangerous decisions that disable. Sometimes storms are so long and so dark that hope is abandoned. We need to speak truth in the midst of that. So what happens here? There's a voice of hope during the darkest hour. When it says that, They abandoned hope here, and you're going to hear it in just a bit. There is a voice of hope that comes in. So when we look at this idea of a voice of hope during the darkest hour, let me ask this question. When do you finally give up hope? Have you ever just given up hope? Have you said enough is enough? I'm done. There's nothing else left. Brothers and sisters, as long as we have the light of Christ leading us, there is always hope. Yeah, that was a good cue for an amen. Somebody hit it right on, right on target. As long as Christ is Lord of our life, there is always hope in our lives. And we're going to answer that question in a minute, but my question is, of course we struggle when the storms come. Do you think it was easy for Paul? Paul? How many of you, let's just take a survey, non-rhetorical, how many of you will do exactly what he does in a a couple weeks here, but in a few short verses, when they finally are shipwrecked, or they're going to lose it all, and they're all desperate, they all know they're going to die, and he says, excuse me, uh, was anybody listening? Um, Do do you remember that part? Where I told you, idiots, don't go out there. Were, Were you listening to that part? Now, modern psychology tells us never to do that. Right? All the management tools we're given, is, is, don't, you don't do that, you don't rub it in. He rubs it. He grabs it and he throws it right in their faces. Now, does he do it to be a problem? No. He does it to point out the, the issue that God gave him instruction. You didn't listen to it You are about to die, and I have another word from the Lord for you, so are you going to listen this time? That's why this is appropriate in that moment. But i got to be honest. I might not say it, but I'm thinking it, right? I told you so, right? I'm thinking it. So a voice of hope during the darkest hour. When the hour seems darkest and hope is gone, what should we do? We should listen to the message of the Lord. Let's look at 24 through 25, shall we? Let's look at 24 through 25. And as you're going there, Paul's bold, I told you not to leave message, and then the strong and resolute announcement that no one would perish becomes a prophetic word. And that's where it goes back to this moment in our lives. When you're facing the storms, think about that quote that we started with today where Warren Wiersbe says this, a crisis does not make a person... A crisis shows what a person is made of. This is the calm before the storm. This is our preparatory period for the storm that we will go through. The reason Paul is able to do this and remain calm and command respect is because he was right, because he was listening to the Lord, because he did speak up, and what he said was true, and it gave him credibility. So now he's going to provide hope. He's going to be this voice of hope. And it says, and, and it goes on to say this, and it tends to bring true leadership to the fore. It tends to bring true leadership to the fore. Let's look at, at 24 and 25 now at this point. So what's happened is that, that they have had to leave the harbor because they're going to get, it's not a safe harbor. They thought it would be, and they're not going to be able to winter there. So they actually have to cast off, come out of the harbor, and hope for the best. In reality, what happened in those days in in, in seafaring times was if you ended up out in the middle of the the Mediterranean, the Nor'easters would come through, they would blow you, because of the way that the ships were designed, they would blow you all the way down to the coast of Africa. And as you got close to Africa, there were sandbars that were notorious for wrecking ships and so the, the, the history here is go back to kind of your Greek mythology and understand the, the superstition of the, of the sailors and so they have to head out into the open ocean and they actually hit such a storm that they do not see the stars nor the sun for a long period of time and it's bad it's really bad they start throwing the cargo they start throwing the, the, the tackle off the ship Is what it says. And so let's pick it up and see where we are. We're in our darkest hour now on this ship, and Paul has spoken up, and here's what we see. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith. In God, that it will be exactly as I have been told. So what is he saying? This is the message that he's giving to the sailors who are convinced that the gods of the sea are against them. They have angered the gods. And yet Paul speaks from his own God and says, None of you will perish. Let me ask you a question. How many of you know what common grace is? So common grace is... The idea that that you receive blessing that God has given because of someone else but the effects of that grace spread out to those who didn't necessarily earn it. Not that we can earn His grace but you see what I'm saying, right? That's the case here for these sailors. And the sailors are in a situation where they don't believe in the Lord. They don't hold to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They don't believe in Christ. They believe in other gods. And yet what's going to happen is the Lord could have just spared Paul, Luke, and Aristarchus, right? And yet what does the Lord choose to do? He chooses to show up to a people who desperately need saving, need to be acquainted with Him, and say, I'm going to save you. And when do we appreciate it the most? In the darkest moments. In the darkest moments is when we appreciate it. And so Paul stands up and he gives this message. I've heard from the Lord. I've heard from the Lord. He is a voice of hope during the darkest hour. So what do they do? Well, casting off anchors is a good strategy, but it doesn't save you. So they keep working like they know to work. Have you ever been in that situation when you're in a storm? You just keep swimming, right? You just keep swimming. You're not sure you're going to get anywhere, but it's better than sitting still. And so these men have heard from this Jewish prophet and he's told them, none of you will die. You will all be spared, but we're going down. Think of that. Okay, you're going to lose everything, but hey, you're going to be all right. Okay, fantastic. Thanks, Paul. Appreciate that. So anybody else got some ideas here? And so they go right back to what they know which is casting off anchors. What's interesting is it did nothing for them. The idea was, in casting off the anchors, it would make the ship lighter, which would help them clear these sandbars. See, they're coming up to the island of Malta. And if you go to the island of Malta today, you actually can see what's called St. Paul's Bay. Uh, This morning, uh, at like 1.30 in the morning, um, again, I don't know why I'm up at 1.30 in the morning, um, on Sunday morning, but I just happened to check something. My phone dinged at me and I look and it's my former pastor and he's at St. Paul's Bay in Malta. I'm thinking, wow, Lord, you really want this preached. Okay. And so the fascinating idea here is that they see this bay, the the clouds finally get to a point, they're taking furlong readings, right? Or fathom readings. Furlong, we're racing horses? Fathom readings, right? You didn't know they were racing horses too. Uh, So they're taking fathoms and they're getting closer and closer. They can hear the breakers And so they say, cast off the anchors. We're going. Let's go, guys. This is the plan. We're going to run the ship up on the shore, and we're going to make it. God says, no, you're not. You have your best laid plans, guys, but you keep forgetting what I have said. You're going to have to lean on me. Brothers and sisters, when we're in those storms of life, do we remember the calm before the storm? Do we remember what God said about what he expects from us or what he has for us? And now we start to get in the takeaway today. Why does Paul know he's going to survive? Because Christ told him, You will appear before Caesar. Has he appeared before Caesar? Not yet. And so, not only that, he gets a visitation from the angel prior, and the angel tells him, Send this message to the sailors. You're going to make it. By the way, did the clouds open and part? Did the seas calm? No, it got worse. How many of us lean on those promises of God and then the storm gets worse and we finally just say, that's it. I gave up on God. God is not this good, loving, benevolent God. We all struggle in this area. Understand, we always want to try to make something happen. I want you to remember this point that they've been given a promise from God, they've been given it through Paul. They don't really know this Paul guy, but, oh, by the way, um, if you guys, were paying attention. He was right. So there's some credibility to what he's saying. And so what happens? Failure in strategic decisions doesn't doom you. Just understand that. Sometimes you need to be trying something, casting off anchors, whatever it is, but brothers and sisters, that may help us, but ultimately that's not what saves us is this point. And so God plays with them a little bit more. They're trucking to the beach. They can probably see it. It's just right there. They're so close. And they hit the sandbars in the reef. And the ship starts to break up on the stern. And so they were going to kill Paul. Brings us to our last point this morning. By the way, there's another story like this that i want you to remember where paul is told you have to appear before caesar and so he knows he's going to survive one way or the other and by god's grace he's going to extend that salvation physical salvation to those sailors and not a single person died now let's get back to that greek mythology understand this that at that time if if the seas erupted and it was almost for sure that you were going to perish, the sailors understood that to be a sign from the gods that you were an evil person. That you would that if you died in that, if you were shipwrecked, if you fell, you were perceived as evil. Someone who fell into the waters or someone who was shipwrecked and survived was perceived as good, as righteous, as credible. And so God is sending a message that is particular to the interpretation of those he's trying to reach. Often we go through storms because the people God is seeking to reach need to hear or see or experience God in a particular way to get their attention. Does that make sense? The question is, are we up for that storm like Paul was up for that storm? Well, Jesus was up for that storm. This rings vaguely familiar, doesn't it? Being in a boat, being in trouble on the water, the whole crew gets panicky. And what's going on in the back of the boat? Well, Jesus is asleep. How many of you sleep well when the storm is going on? Usually that's the first thing that goes. Right? And the worst part about that is is very simple. When we know we're stressed out or we know we're going to have a short window of sleep, then we really can't sleep, right? We do it to ourselves. That's how nefarious that challenge is. And yet Jesus, there's a reason He's sleeping in the back of the boat in this huge storm on the lake where, where experienced sailors are crying out, surely we're going to die. And you can just hear Him saying, What's with the greenhorn back there? Doesn't he understand how bad it is? And the whole time, I, I kind of get this picture of Jesus in that moment. He's like faking sleep, right? Like his back is to them, he's like, oh my God, oh God these guys. <laughs> right? I, I picture that. And he's just waiting for one of them to come, you know, come. Hey, we're going to die! It's like, oh, oh, Peter, I could have bet, you know, shekels it was going to be you. Right? Would have thrown in a month's supply of hummus. It was going to be you. And so, what happens? Jesus help, helps him understand. Why are you afraid, O oh, you of little faith? Can you please, when you're going through the storm, remember these words? Remember these words. By the way, I just want to let you know about storms. Sometimes you don't survive storms. Does that mean God is absent? No, because those who believe in Christ understand that this is not the ultimate goal. Have you ever been inspired because of someone's life? Have you ever been inspired because of someone's death? How many came into the kingdom of heaven because of the Son of God hanging on a tree? Is it God's fault that these horrible things happen? I would contend to you that there's a whole boat of sailors that never would have listened had things not happened this way. And so they were all saved and the message and the attribution of salvation went to Paul's Savior. God's promise and providence can never be defeated by a storm, only threatened. I want you to hold on to that idea that when the storm comes, of course it's going to threaten your faith. The reality is exactly what Wearsby says. Who you are and how you're prepared in the calm before the storm is going to determine how you lead through the storm. The storm is always threatening. What will we do in the midst of that storm? Remember, the storm is real and is threatening. When you get into those storms, remember his promises. This is what Paul did in the midst of the storm. He stood up and he said, men, we will not perish. And so what happened in the end? Look at 43 through 44. They they threw off the anchors. They did everything they knew to do. And now they're stuck on the reef and the boat is being bashed in. And so what happens? (laughs) Well, they go back to protocol. I'm actually going to start in 42. The soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners lest any should swim away and escape. Remember I told you what would happen to Julius... And to his, his uh, other soldiers, if these prisoners escaped, they would be killed. So the idea is very simple. Kill them. <laughs> and they can't technically escape. This was protocol. And yet, what does God do? God intervenes in the midst of the storm through an unlikely advocate. And it says this, But the centurion wishing to save Paul kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And here it is, and so it was that all were brought safely to land. Are there going to be spiritual storms? Yeah, there are. How are you preparing during the calm before the storm? determines how you will lead and the voice of hope that you will have in the midst of this storm. And one of the best ways for us to understand how to to navigate that storm is to remember the promises of God. And when we remember who is our Lord and Savior, we remember what He has said to us, we remember what He has promised, it shapes and defines how we react and respond in the midst of these storms, brothers and sisters. I had my own personal storm we were informed uh, last March that our owners were uh, were going to move back now we know Paul had a prophetic word he had something special going on with the Lord Um, I'm not necessarily proclaiming that but how many of you happened to walk outside your house when the Google car came by and took the picture because I did I did this is on Google Maps and they've actually blurred out my face, but I made it onto Google Maps. Just want you to know, I'm one of the few, I think it's 350 total people in the entire world, right, that made it on there, and I saw it coming, and you see me running. That is really, that, I, I mean, the, the blur on my face is because I'm running so fast, right? And uh, I don't know what I'm doing there. I call that like a Sasquatch sighting, right? Hey, look, he's real. Uh. (laughs) But we were informed that we were going to have to move. Let me just give you the short story. God's not done here for myself and my family. He's nowhere close to done. But I look at what rents are, and they are literally double of what I pay. I have no answer. And so how I'm wired is to cast anchors off, like a lot. I I told my wife, like in the first two weeks, we're selling 50% of everything we have. See that dining table? Cut it in half with a chainsaw. That half goes, that half stays. See the dog? No. (laughs) 50% of it just goes. And so we started working on that level, and we're at about 8% we've gotten rid of so far. And, uh, uh... and I, I have to be honest with you, the tendency was to go to Zillow and just keep looking, and, and I would get stuck into this thing of just saying, stop, there's nothing you can do. Remember, he's not done. So all of this stuff that you're looking at that just tells you it's impossible, it doesn't matter. So stop doing that. And I will tell you, for for the most part, I did stop. For the most part, there were those moments where I kept you know, coming back to the Lord in trust. But there were those moments where I I went back to things I know and and just continuing to check the trends of the market, what's possible, what's not. And I kept adding up the math, and it just didn't work. It just didn't work. We got a phone call Thursday from our owners. And uh, for some reason, they didn't have to make this decision at all. It was almost like a coin flip. They decided, we're going to wait another two years before we move back. We're going to wait another two years. Can I tell you the past six months of, of thinking, what are we going to do And it's getting closer? It's getting, you know, those, that really could have been a lot of sleepless nights for me. But I kept remembering, you know why? Because the calm before the storm prepared me. The calm before the storm prepared me. And so now I'm going to remember this part. But I had to keep in the forefront of my mind, very simply, God is asking me to appear before Caesar here. He's not done with me. I have some other things that that he's doing here. I'll let you know when he shows up and tells me that I'm going to go to work at Kmart, okay? Okay. It hasn't happened yet. But I would be proud to work in the automotive department. Navigate your storms (laughs) according to the promises in faith, not by the stability of the boat. Some great sage philosopher named PJ said that. Oh, I went too far. This morning as we close, I just want to encourage you. Think through, pray through, ponder. How do you work through storms that come to you? How do you navigate those storms? Let me pray this morning over each of you in this area. And as you're facing those, because many of you are. Let me just share with you, there there are individuals here that inspire me. You saw my little Sasquatch picture here. Uh, I wish I had the liberty to show you someone who's part of our church body that was informed they have cancer. And you know what they keep saying? God is good. God's going to see me through this. God's going to, that should be the message for you today. Because that's coming from our church. That's coming from our people. That's that's knowing how to navigate a storm. So, let me pray over you, and then we're going to have, the second I'm done praying, let's stand up and just do a quick meet and greet and say hi to one another. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the blessedness of how you have navigated Luke to record this story. Let it give us purpose, let it inform us, let us have understanding and reasoning as we examine our own storms. Help us to have a voice of hope when dangerous decisions are made by others that affect us. Help us not to interpret who you are based off of a storm, but help us to see you and how complex you are in how you are working. And Father, that Paul would go through all of that challenge, all of that difficulty, and he relays it to the church at Corinth, not just in this moment, but so many other moments. All of this was done that the message of Christ might in particular reach the audience Paul was with. And on that day, the message of of your son stood as a beacon to 270 people who were shipwrecked. Thank you, Father, for the storms. Just give us a reminder who's in charge, who's our captain, and what we can lean on in the midst of it, and that we can be a voice of hope as we navigate through it. To you be all glory, Father. Amen. Amen.